0: The following message is brought to you by the Teaching and Preaching Ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler.
1: Matthew chapter 2 for our scripture reading this morning. Matthew chapter number 2. Thank you so much for joining us this morning as we continue our message series entitled God with Us. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at different characters in the Christmas story and seeing how God was with them in their unique situation and circumstances and seeing how God is with us as we go through similar circumstances and similar situations. And this entire message series is leading up to our Christmas premiere, which will be taking place this Saturday and next Sunday. It's going to be a great time. You definitely won't want to miss it in the lobby. We have lots of tickets for you to invite your friends and your coworkers. And let me encourage you To one, be praying that God would work, be praying that people would be saved, but also pray and ask the Lord to give you somebody who you can invite and who you can pray that will come and join you next weekend. It's going to be a great time. Again, we have tickets in the lobby, so definitely be sure to grab some of those on your way out. Stand with me, if you would, as we read Matthew chapter number two. On your way in, you should have received a service program guide. On the inside, there's an outline that you can use to follow along as we read Matthew chapter number two, verses one through verse number 11. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it was written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over the place where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Verse 11, And when they were come into the house, they worshipped the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh
0: in a situation where you had lost something and you were frantically searching to try to find it again. Maybe it was your keys or your wallet or a child. Anybody ever been there before and you're just, where did it go? And the feeling it leaves you when you cannot find it anywhere. Um, I have this almost compulsive uh, OCD thing about things lying out and just having to, like, put them away or trash laying out and having to pick it up and, and throw it out. And oftentimes, I'll, I'll do those things without even consciously realizing uh, I'm doing it. And I'm sure the kids kind of see that and, and kind of follow suit. And on one occasion, um, we were having a youth activity with a bunch of teenagers uh, where I was previously serving as a youth pastor, and uh, we had a bunch of teens over to our home, and it happened to be the night uh, before teen camp, and so the next day, a bunch of the teenagers were going to go to camp, and so as the parents were dropping off their kids, they were paying the remainder of their camp fees, and so they were giving us cash and money, and I had this envelope, and I was putting the money in there, and and by the time all the kids had had their camps paid for, there was probably twelve or $1,300 that was in this envelope, and I'd placed it in the kitchen and, and we had our youth activity and, and everything was going great and and the kids went home and the, the next day uh, I got up, I was going to work, I needed to grab that envelope and drop it off with the finance department and I, I went down to the kitchen and it wasn't there. I couldn't find that envelope anywhere. And I was kind of scratching my head thinking, man, where, where could it have gone? And and so then I kind of began to look in different drawers and a few minutes went by and then like an hour went on. Like I couldn't find this money anywhere. And and my, my heart started to get a little bit nervous because I was like, man, $1,300, a whole lot of money just to have gone disappeared. And we were looking everywhere for it. And at the time, uh, our daughter Ashlyn was about uh, three years old or so. And, and finally, just out of desperation, I, I went to Ashlyn, and I said, hey, Ashlyn, ha- have you seen this envelope anywhere? You know, it had money in it, and, and she very just calmly and confidently said to me, it was lying out, so I threw it away. <laughs> I thought, oh, no. Any of your kids ever done this, thrown away something that you're like, oh, this is not good? Sure enough, we started going through the trash can, and finally, we sure enough found, it was an envelope with $1,300 in the trash. And I remember how relieved my heart was, you know, when I was able to uh, drop that off. I was just so nervous because I was searching for it. And you get to that point where, man, you just like, there's nothing more important than finding what it is that you're looking for. In the world in which we live today, in the 21st century, there are men, women, people who are frantically searching They are longing and they are craving for satisfaction, fulfillment, and contentment in life. They've looked to their careers to provide satisfaction. They've looked to a certain amount of money in a bank account to provide contentment and fulfillment. They've looked to relationships to provide that. And it seems like no matter where they look, that feeling, that sense of satisfaction, fulfillment, and contentment just continues to elude them. And so they continue to search and they continue to look and they continue to desire those things that they think will ultimately satisfy the deepest longings of their heart, but it always seems to evade them. Which leads us here to our theme for this particular message this morning, and that is simply this. Oftentimes, a lack of satisfaction is simply nothing more than a deep longing for the Savior. Have you ever had a time in your life where you just didn't feel satisfied? Have you ever had a season where your soul was just yearning for something more? Have you ever had a moment where you thought, if I could just get that next promotion, if I could just make this much money, if I could just buy that house, then finally I'll be content and I'll be satisfied? Have you ever had a season where you lacked satisfaction I want to say to you this morning that oftentimes when our soul lacks satisfaction, that is simply a deep longing for the Savior, but oftentimes we do not recognize it as such. And so we continue distracted, living out our lives, looking to a thousand things smaller than the presence of Jesus to fulfill the void that only God can fill. Today we're going to look at a couple of characters from Matthew chapter number two who, in spite of having nearly everything the world had to offer, these guys had money, these guys had fame, these guys had education, in light of everything they had, we're going to find that they are still searching for something more, something that would bring them joy and satisfaction and fulfillment, and we're going to look at the story of the wise men this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're just going to do a Bible study, start in verse number one and work our way through Matthew chapter number two. Notice what the Bible says in verse number one. It says when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now I'm going to pause there for a second. This guy Herod was not a very good guy. Uh, He was not godly. He had wanted nothing to do with this coming Messiah or the one who would be king. Uh, In fact, we're going to see later, he's a murderer, just an awful, awful guy. And so it's during this time of his reign that, behold, the Bible says in verse number one, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Let's take a moment and just talk about who these wise men were. Uh, Several traditions place the number of wise men at three, Uh, How many of you have seen a nativity scene or maybe you have a little nativity scene in your house and it shows some shepherds and Mary and Joseph and three wise men? How many of you have one of these or have seen one of these before? Raise your hand, okay? You've seen these. Uh, Many traditions kind of propagate the idea that there were three of these wise men, and yet the reality is the Bible never actually states that there were three of these men. Uh, The reason that this is commonly believed is because there was given three gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and so a lot of people just assume since there were three gifts that there must have also been three of these wise men, but the Bible never states that. In fact, uh, there are many uh, traditions, especially in early church history, that suggest it was actually a caravan of these wise men or these magis that made their way to Bethlehem. In fact, some people uh, have suggested that their number is as high as 9 10, 11, and even 12 of these magi or these wise men that came seeking for Jesus. Uh, The Bible says in this verse that they were men who came from the east, all right? Uh, It has been identified as where they're coming from, as possibly being from Arabia or even as far as Persia, uh, but certainly probably no further east than that. In fact, uh, there's some primitive Christian art in the second century Roman catacombs of Priscilla, and it actually, in these catacombs there was a picture I think we even have one of those and it dresses these magi in Persian garments and so uh, the majority of early church history leaders think that these wise men actually came from Persia which may or may not be where they came from but this is what some people uh, do believe uh, these Persian men were known to be old and powerful a priestly group among the Medes and the Persian uh, these sages who they were extremely well educated uh, in the Their day, they were specialists oftentimes uh, in a variety of disciplines, some of them in medicine, in religion, astronomy, and some of them even practice uh, magic and and sorcery, which is somewhat interesting. Uh, Interestingly enough, these Persian magi uh, were not, as a whole, as a whole group, these were not followers of the Hebrew God Yahweh. All right, these in fact were uh, disciples of a man by the name of Zoroaster. an important Persian religious leader. These magi, like I said a moment ago, they were just incredibly educated. Now, what's interesting about these men is, given Old Testament prohibition against sorcery, of course, the Bible and the Old Testament is very much against magic and sorcery in these um, in these ways. It's interesting and surprising uh, that Matthew actually records this story in chapter number two uh, because of the fact that it would have been viewed very negatively in the eyes of his Jewish audience uh, to who he was writing to. It wouldn't have caused them to esteem this story more by adding these men into the story. And so uh, many scholars believe that the only reason this story exists in Matthew chapter number two is because it actually happened, (laughs) all right? And that's why it's recorded as Matthew in a historical way is recording this particular uh, passage. So these wise men, they were the noblest of the noble. They were the elite of society. They were admired by their countrymen. Their counsel was sought after by kings. They were wealthy. That's one of the reasons they could take this huge journey across the desert Uh, in the day and age in which they lived. They had much wealth, uh, much fortune, incredible. Incredibly educated, a whole lot of knowledge, and extremely admired by their countrymen. I mean, in, in any ways, these guys were the exact opposite of the shepherds that we talked about two weeks ago. These guys were the epitome of success. They had their fortunes, they had their fame, they had everything this world have to offer, and yet we're going to find them in Matthew chapter number two, and here they are on this journey, tracking through the desert, searching for something more. Even in light of all of their fame, in light of all of their education, in light of all of their riches, there was still something more that they felt was out there. Isaiah chapter number 52 and verse number two says this. It says, wherefore or why, it goes on to say, do you spend money for that which is not bread? Notice this. And why, that's what, where for me, why do you labor for that which satisfieth not? You see, we live in a generation of people, especially in 21st century modern America, where people are laboring. They are spending their energy. They are taking their finances. They're doing everything they can to try to satisfy the longings of their soul. And what this passage says is, why do you work so hard? Why do you labor so much? Why do you do all these things for that which does not satisfy? The prophet Isaiah goes on to say, Hey, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The prophet Isaiah says there are are so many people that are looking to thousands of things smaller than experiencing the presence of Christ to fulfill a void, to give them satisfaction, contentment, and fulfillment. They look to entertainment, uh, they look to amusement they look to careers, they look to relationships, they think to themselves, if I can just date that person or get married to that person, if I can just have this much money in my bank, if I can just live in that type of house or drive that type of car, and they spend all this energy, they work so hard because they have convinced themselves that if they just had that person or just could buy that thing, then finally they would be satisfied. Finally there would be some fulfillment. Finally they could be content. And here Isaiah is saying, why do you spend so much labor, so much energy for that which ultimately cannot satisfy. One theologian said it this way, if we don't experience God on a regular basis, we are destined to live unsatisfied lives. Nothing we do and nothing we have can ultimately satisfy us. And even if it did, we wouldn't have the capacity to hold on to it. The reality is this, we can look to a thousand things other than Christ to to fill the void of fulfillment and satisfaction. And we can look to all these things, but nothing ultimately satisfies like the presence of the Savior, like the presence of God. And these wise men, they were moving. They were searching for his presence. They realized that the presence of Christ could offer them something that riches could not give them. They knew that the presence of Christ could offer them something that education couldn't give them, or relationship couldn't give them, or fame couldn't give them. And so we find these men, they're searching. Let's go to verse number two. They come and they say, where is he that is born King of the Jews. Notice this. For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So here are these magi. These are not necessarily followers of Yahweh. They're not necessarily followers of the Hebrew God. They have just read these ancient texts. They've searched the ancient texts because in the Old Testament scriptures written at least 400 years before the time of Christ and portions 1,500 years before Christ, there were these prophecies given by prophets. There were these promises that were given Given by God. And these magi, because they were well educated, they had read from these ancient texts, these ancient prophecies, and they had read about this one who was prophesied to be the Messiah, the one who would be called the Anointed One or the King of the Jews. They had searched the ancient text. See, in the ancient text, the prophet Daniel spoke of, a, of when the Messiah come, would come. And so, because of Daniel, they had a time frame of when the Messiah would appear. According to the prophet Micah, uh, he spoke of where the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so because they had studied these ancient texts, they had searched these ancient texts, they knew about when the Messiah would be born. They knew about where the Messiah would be born. Uh, and, And so they searched not just the ancient texts, but you see they searched the heavens. They searched the star. You say, why would these guys be searching the stars? Well, they were. They were astronomers. These guys were educated when it came to the placement of the stars. And according to Numbers, chapter number 24, written uh, hundreds of years before the Messiah came on the scene, here's what it says. It says, I shall see him, but not now. Speaking of this Messiah, this anointed one. I shall behold him, but not nigh, Not here. Why? There shall come a star out of Jacob. Remember, this is written literally over a thousand years before Christ comes on the scene. He says, and a scepter or a king is what that means, shall rise out of Israel. So this king would have his own star and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. And so we see here these wise men, they knew about when this anointed one would be born. They knew about where this anointed one would be born. And if they would look to the heavens, they would know that his star would appear when he was born. And so they're looking for... For his star and that's what they say in verse number two for we have seen his star in the east and so now because they have searched the ancient text they have searched the heavens now they're going to search the countryside they got to find out where is this one who has been prophesied about where is this one who had been promised they realize that this king had something to offer them that fame and fortune and riches could never provide to them You see, these men had everything. They had all that money could buy. They had fame. People admired them, looked up to them. And yet here they are tracking through the Middle Eastern desert, searching for something more. Have you ever been there before? You feel like you've got it. You've got a home. You've got a family. You've got food on the table. You've got a decent job. And it's like, no matter what you get, it still doesn't Completely satisfied, you're still looking for something a little bit more. Have you ever had a time where you thought, man, if I could just make this much money, then I'll be completely happy. I'll be satisfied. I'll never want any more. And then all of a sudden you get that amount and your heart just wants a little bit more. Or you think, if I could just get that type of job or if I could just get this type of promotion, then I'll be satisfied and I wouldn't want anything else. And then all of a sudden we get it and we find that our heart still wants a little bit more. That's because the scriptures tell us the eyes of man are never satisfied. You see, there's nothing in this physical realm that can ultimately satisfy the deepest longings of the human soul. You were created to need something more than this physical world can provide you. And so we live our whole lives distracted by the illusion if we can make more money or have a cooler job or live in a bigger house or drive more awesome cars, then we'll be satisfied in its illusion. Because you were created by a God where you're only completely satisfied as you are experiencing communion and fellowship and an abiding presence with that God. Here they are, riches hadn't satisfied the longing of their heart. Knowledge hadn't filled the void completely. Fame hadn't quenched the thirst. And so there they are, there's this quiet yearning in their souls as they're told there's something more to life than they're currently experiencing. And so here are these wise men, just they're searching. Searching for something more, even though they had so much. But you know, these wise men are not the only one like that. Even in our day and age, there are similar illustrations of people like this. uh, when I was growing up, and, and still is today, there was an actor. How many of you know the actor Jim Carrey? You ever heard that name before? Jim Carrey played different movies, and uh, you know maybe you've seen some of his movies before. Uh, he performed in over his career. He's performed in 62 different movies and TV shows. He's won more than 40 awards, including the Golden Globe Award for the best performance by an actor. In fact, uh, Jim Carrey was one of the first comedians. He was the first comedian to get paid 20 million dollars for a single movie. How many of you, that'd be like a good day work, you know? One movie, $20 million. How many of you would do that? All right, you take it. $20 million for his first job. His career has lasted over 30 years and has given him fame, fortune, and incredible status. I mean, it's just, it's been a long, lengthy career in Hollywood. He was doing an interview one time, and as I was listening to it, he made a statement that just kind of blew my mind. Here's what he said. He said, I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous. So they could discover it's the answer to nothing. Wow. I wish everyone could be rich and famous so they could discover it's the answer to nothing. Um there was another actor by the name of Shia LeBeau. Uh, Shy when when we were kids. And if you're if you're a child of the '90s, uh, he played in a Disney Channel show uh, called Even Steven. He was just this fast-talking kid on this Disney show. And uh, how many of you who grew up like late? You know what I'm talking about. Anybody here? Okay, a few of you. Yeah, you're that age group, all right. And so uh, he kind of became really famous as a child star. Uh, In fact, as a teenager, actually became a millionaire. He just made so much money off of this show as a kid. Uh, As he got a little bit older, he played in the summer blockbuster hits transformers and eventually in the indiana jones reboot with harrison ford and really made it big time i mean just money and fame everything the world had to offer i mean this guy just had it and uh one time he was talking to he was doing he was it was an interview and i was reading in a in a magazine and, and in the course of this interview they were talking and he made this statement It just it, it blew my mind he said this this is at the height of his fame, at the height of his career. He said, I feel like I'm living a meaningless life. This is a quote. This is, this is not made up. This is, this is what he said. I feel like I'm living a meaningless life. This is a movie star, a celebrity. Everything that you're hoping for in regards to fame and money and fortune, and this is a direct quote, I feel like I'm living a meaningless life, and I often wonder, what's the point? And to be honest, it frightens me. See, these are the people we look to and we're like, man, if we can be as popular as they are, if we can have the money they have, if we can live in the type of homes and get to date the type of people, I mean, that would be life. And yet what you'll find again and again and again as you kind of dive into these people's autobiographies, you'll find that so often lives are fraught by addictions, their lives are fraught by a sense of meaninglessness, of purposelessness, they have not found satisfaction in their fame, they haven't found contentment in their riches, the relationships that they have aren't ultimately satisfying them and so they come to a place where they're like I often wonder what's the point here's what I find incredibly ironic especially in Shai's uh situation so Shai grew up in LA his parents were Jewish and so that's where he got the name from it's actually a Jewish name Shai Lebeau and so his mom gave him this Jewish name and uh he probably hadn't thought much about it but if you ever take his name and look it up it was a, it was a Jewish name if you look it up in the Jewish language you know what his name means Praise God. See, here's Shai saying, what's the point of my life? And it's found in the very definition of his name. His purpose is to praise God. His purpose is to glorify God. His purpose is to enjoy and find his full satisfaction in the presence of God. So at the very moment, whereas I don't even know what life's about, it frightens me. The answer to his question is found in his very name. 1 Corinthians tells us, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That is your purpose. You were designed by a God with a purpose. Your purpose is to enjoy God forever in His, in His presence The moment you get distracted from that goal for why, the purpose for why you were created, you will forever be eluded by satisfaction and contentment. There is no satisfaction. There is no contentment. There is no fulfillment outside of an enjoyment of the presence of God in your life. Everything else, if you're not, if you don't get that, nothing else matters. You see, you actually possess something that these actors don't get to enjoy. See, yeah, they might have the money, they might have fame, they might have possessions, but you know what you have so often that they don't? Hope. See, so many of us live under the hope, the illusion that if we had a little bit more money, our life would be better. If we just could drive a nicer car, live in a bigger house, life would be better. If we could just drive, wear better clothes, if we could just, then our life would be better. You see, so many of these celebrities, so many of these actors, they don't have that hope because they've achieved the fame, they've achieved the fortune, they've achieved all the things that the world tells you you've got to get, and then they come to the end and they're like, they, they've, they don't even have the hope that those things satisfy. Now, I'm not saying money's bad or fame's bad, I'm not saying education's bad, none of those things are bad. It's not bad to have a nice home or drive a nice car or have money. I'm not saying they're bad. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying they're inadequate. They do not have the capacity to fulfill the deepest longings of the human soul. That's all I'm saying. But too many of us, even in the church, have allowed ourselves to be deceived by the thought that if we can just get that, then we'll be satisfied. It is a lie. Riches don't satisfy, fame doesn't satisfy, material possessions don't satisfy. They're they're fine things to have. I'm not the preacher to stand up and tell you, oh, don't money's you, you know it's not good for nothing. I'm not telling you that. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's inadequate. It can't do what most of you are letting yourselves believe it can do. That's all. And so here we have these wise men, and they come to a place where they realize, man, none of these things satisfy. Jeremiah chapter number 29 verse 13 says this, And ye shall seek me and find me. When? When ye shall seek, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Ultimately, what satisfies the heart and soul and yearnings and desires is not a promotion at your job, not more money in your bank account, not a better relationship. What ultimately satisfies is experiencing the very real, near presence of God. And yet the enemy is going to run around trying to distract you with a thousand things less than the presence of God, trying to get you to run after this and run after that thing and run after those things, all the while distracting you from the very thing that can ultimately satisfy your soul and that is the presence of God and that's what these wise men recognized that for all their money and all of their fame and all of their fortune what they needed most was to be in the presence of God and I'm telling you when you experience that you will experience something that no amount of money can provide and you'll experience something that no amount of fame can bring you you get to experience God Let's keep reading. We read verse 1 and 2. We'll come back. There's a section in between verses 3 and verses number 8 where now the wise men start having this interaction with this this King Herod. Evil man, awful man. We'll get back to that in a second, but let's pick it up in verse number 9. When they had heard this King Herod, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So they're following the star. They find it stops. They follow the child. Notice what it says in verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened up their treasures, they presented him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I want you to see in this passage, there was a deep, fulfilling joy and satisfaction in the presence of God. It, it says here in this passage, there was exceeding great joy. Joy. Can I ask you this question? Is your life marked by exceeding great joy right now? Would that be your experience? You see, these wise men recognized in the presence of God, that's where exceeding great joy came from. Exceeding great joy does not come from more money in a bank account. Exceeding great joy does not come from living in a bigger house. Exceeding great joy does not come from fame. Exceeding great joy does not come from having a relationship with the, the perfect person. Exceeding great joy comes when you finally find yourself in the presence of God. Because God doesn't just give peace and give joy and give love. He is the essence of peace. He is the essence of love. He is the essence of joy. And if you want to experience joy and peace and love, you have to experience God. For there is no true love, joy, and peace apart from God. And that's what they recognized. That's why they were searching That's why their heart longed for something more, because they recognized that their fame and their fortune and their material possessions, they weren't bad things, but they were insufficient things. And the only thing that could ultimately satisfy was experiencing the presence of God. Psalms 34 verse 10 says this, they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing there is a fulfillment that comes in the presence of God. There is a satisfaction that comes in the presence of God that puts your heart at ease, that allows your heart to be at rest. My friend, the only thing that can fulfill the human spirit is the Spirit of God. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. It is the Spirit of God that ultimately satisfies. So as we wrap this up this morning, I want to share with you just kind of five five aspects of how to be satisfied in life from this passage. This is real practical. We're going to put the cookies right down on the bottom shelf. I'm going to share with you a couple of things from this passage, how to be satisfied in life from Matthew chapter number two. Number one, we see in verse number two, we see here these wise men, how did they know about this? this Messiah was going to come. They had read the ancient texts. They knew the promises of God. And so we see, which leads us to the first point, how to be satisfied in life. Number one, keep your focus on the promises of God. Keep your focuses on the promises of God. Keep your focus on the promises of God. I want you to see that these men, they didn't just read something in the ancient texts. It wasn't like they just got an education no they kept their focus on what the prophecies had said what the promises of god had said they allowed those promises to affect the way they lived they didn't just go to the ancient texts and say oh the messiah is going to have a star in the east oh he's going to be born in bethlehem oh this is the time no it those promises actually changed what they did they went on a journey Toward the presence of God. I want to say this keep your focuses on the promises of God and let His promises influence your behavior. Are the promises of God just something you know about academically or do they inform the way you behave? Do you live your life in light of the reality of God's promises? Do you live as if what God says is true all the time? That's what these men did. They kept their focus on the promises of God and they allowed the promises of God to influence their behavior. It changed what they did. Do you allow God's promises to affect the way you behave? Does it change the way you process things? Does it change and affect your emotional state? Keep your focus on the promises of God. Number two... We see these men came from the east. They, they traveled hundreds of thousands of miles. Man, it was, in, in those times, to travel would have been very dangerous. Uh, it would be very easy for them to get robbed, especially carrying so much wealth with them. They could have been distracted by cities and, oh, we'll just park it here a while. There, I'm sure there could have been sandstorms. It, the Bible says they traveled through the night so they could see the star. It would get dark and it would get cold. It would get difficult. But here's what I want you to see. Number two, they persevered throughout the journey. You want to know how to be satisfied? There's going to be times where, as you're seeking the presence of God in your life, He's going to feel distant. What do you do in those moments? Do you quit? In those moments where it's, it's difficult and it's hard and you don't feel like moving toward the promises of God, it's how you respond in that moment that will have such an impact on what you experience down the road. Do you persevere in the difficulties? Let me ask you this, do you persevere during the distractions? It might have been very easy for them to come along a city and, and in maybe the city there was a lot for them to do. And maybe it would have just been easier to park it in that city than to keep moving toward the Messiah. And so often in our world, we get distracted by lesser things. All of a sudden, we no longer have time to abide in God's presence. We no longer make margin in our lives to experience God. We make no time to focus on His promises. We just get distracted in our lives. And then we wonder why we don't experience God the way it seems like somebody else experiences God. Why don't we have the joy, that exceeding great joy like it seems like other people have? How come we don't have the peace? How come we don't experience love like other people? We're like, what's wrong? And so often it's because we quit because of distraction. We quit because of disappointment and hardship. And yet these men were willing to persevere through the journey. Why? Because they kept their focus on the promise. And they let the promise inform their reality. Number three, in these four verses, you're going to see where Herod says to these wise men, he says to them, hey, I want you to go, I want you to find this baby, and I want you to tell me where he's at because I want to worship him too. This is what King Herod, this wicked, horrible king, says to these wise men. Well, for, for those of us who know the rest of the story, this evil King Herod did not want to worship this baby Jesus, okay? You know what he wanted to do? He wanted to kill him. <laughs> you say, why did Herod want to kill this baby? Because he wanted to secure the power. He was afraid, man, if this baby grows up and actually becomes king, like these ancient texts talk about, then what's that going to do to my power? And so at the bo- at his real motive was not to worship this king. His real motive was to kill him. And you're going to come to the end of this passage, and you're going to find where the Spirit speaks to these wise men and says, hey, don't go back to Herod and tell him where you found the king, where you found Jesus. Which leads us here to our third thought, and that's simply this. Be aware that God doesn't fully reveal Himself to those that are searching for Him with ulterior motives. Be aware of this. God doesn't fully reveal Himself to those that are searching for Him with ulterior motives. You see, Herod didn't want God. He didn't want to experience His presence All he wanted to do is he wanted to find him so he could secure his own place of power. That was his motive in all this. And in this story, he doesn't get to fully experience the Messiah. And I'm going to say this. It's sad, but in the the world in which we live in today, there are so many people who with their lips say, I want to worship God. I want to to experience him. But there's an ulterior motive there. They don't want God for God. They want God for what God can give them. Like Pharaoh, yes, he wanted to find out where Messiah was, but not because he wanted to worship him. He wanted to find out where he was so he could secure his own power. He had an ulterior motive. But in 21st century America, especially in our churches, there are so many people, they want God, but they want God for what God can do for them. They don't want God so they can worship Him, so they can enjoy Him, so they can experience Him. They want what God can give them. Basically, they look at God like this big cosmic genie in the sky. And as long as God gives me what I want, then I'll search after Him. And I'm going to say this, be aware, God doesn't fully reveal himself to those that are searching for him with ulterior motives. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And maybe you're sitting here and you're saying to yourself, I don't understand, I don't feel like I've experienced God the way that person experiences God. And I I don't know that I've been able to enjoy God the way it seems like those people are able to enjoy God. And I want to say this, Maybe it's because you don't really want God. You want what he can get you. You're using him as a means to an end. And it's got to stop. When will God himself be enough for your soul? Is he enough? Genesis talks about how God is our exceeding great reward. Yes, you get God, you get everything else thrown in, but the motive of the heart needs to be God and God alone. Not not God plus, you know, a big house, or God plus a bank account, or God plus a perfect spouse. No, just God. When will God be enough? Because until he's enough, you're not fully going to get to enjoy all that the presence of God has to offer. Next. The Bible says, it says here, and they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They entered into his presence, verse uh, 10, and and there they fell down and worshipped him. I want to say number four, oh, come to a place where you can fully enjoy the presence of Christ. When was the last time you just enjoyed abiding and experiencing God? It's, it's hard for me because we talk about these things and I'm, I'm, I'm deeply convinced that there are some people who have never, th- they've never really experienced God. And because they haven't, they don't even know how to, they don't even know what this means. They don't, you hear things like exceeding great joy because we are so conditioned to find joy in things and in possessions, and in stuff we can acquire, we don't know what it is to simply find joy and peace and love in just being with God. I'm here to say this. There is a beauty in an abiding relationship with God that nothing else measure up to. Are you fully enjoying the presence of Christ? Have you fully enjoyed it? Do you create margin in your life to enjoy, to bask, to abide in the still, quiet presence of God? Notice next verse here. When they were come into the house they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down worshiping him and when they had opened up their treasures they presented unto him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh which brings us here to our last thought i want you to see this understand that true satisfaction is found in giving not just in getting see the american mindset is oh when we search after something when we want to be satisfied when we want to be content we're going to find that contentment and satisfaction by getting something By having something, by possessing something, by receiving something. That's where satisfaction is found in getting, and having, consuming. And the, the scriptures teach something totally different. That deep satisfaction is not found in getting, but is actually found in giving. In sacrificing, and in generosity. And we wonder why satisfaction so often eludes us is because we have it all backwards. We think satisfaction is going to come in what we can get and squeeze out of this life. When in reality it's found, when we, when we search and we find what we're ultimately looking for, the presence of God, that all climaxes into this overflow of giving that God uses as a measure of his grace to bring satisfaction, fulfillment, and contentment to our soul. It's one of the marks of somebody who's truly satisfied with Christ. They're marked by giving. They know they have everything they need in Christ. Everything that li- for life and godliness is found in the presence of God. And their life is just marked by giving. Because they recognize that true satisfaction is not found in getting. But rather in what we can sacrifice and what we can give. And that's the, that's, the, that's the lesson here in this passage. You see, the moral of the Christmas story, if you take all the passages that we talked about over the last several weeks, the moral is whether you're a lowly shepherd like we learned about a few weeks ago, who are the least of the least, or you're one of these magis, like a lofty king, that whether you're a lowly shepherd or a lofty king, God has come to make his presence available to you. It was C.S. Lewis that says, if you aim for the world, you get nothing. But you aim for God, and he throws everything else in. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Seek the Lord. What are you seeking for? What is your heart yearning for? What is it longing for? What is it desire? Regardless of what you think you want, what you really want, deep down, is the presence of God. To experience Him deeply, to know Him profoundly, and to enjoy Him forever. That's where peace a peace that passeth understanding that's where joy a joy unspeakable and full of glory that's where unconditional love is best experienced at the in the presence of God do you enjoy God thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the ambassador baptist church if this message was a blessing to you please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media thanks once again for tuning in